the church will straighten its act up, you know, and ask him to forgive them of their sins and turn from their wicked ways, he said, I will heal your land. So it's not the world that's a problem. It's the church that's a problem. And the church needs to do that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, before we get to Bible study tonight, we want to praise you and thank you that you are our King, our Lord, and our God. And we're so grateful for the privilege, Lord, to know you as our Lord and Savior. We're so grateful that you're the King of the universe and that we have the privilege to intimately know you as our Lord and our God, our Savior, our Father, our Brother, our Comforter, our Teacher. What a privilege to know the King of the universe like that. Lord, continue to reveal Yourself to us in many ways as we study Your Word tonight. And Lord, we just want to love You and tell You how much we love You and We just want to praise you and worship you and thank you because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and only you are worthy to be worshipped and praised. We're so thankful, Lord, for the Word of God that shows us and tells us what you are like and what you like and what you don't like. And, And Lord, help us to do the things that you do like so you will bless us. Lord, Thank you for the blessings of life. Thank you for giving us each other. Thank you for giving us life today and breath and everything. And we're so grateful. Father, we sure do need a good rain on this country around here. Lord, a good three or four inch slow rain over a couple of days would really, really be appreciated by us. Lord, I know I would really appreciate it. And I know that there's many others would too. And so, Father, we want to ask you tonight for forgive us all of our sins. Everywhere we fall short, we know there's bound to be many, although we're trying our best to walk holy in your presence. We know there's things that we do that does not meet your criteria, and some of them we don't even know. But, Lord, we ask you to forgive us and teach us and show us what you do like and you don't like so we can do what you do like. Now, Father... You told us that if two or three of us in Matthew 18, 19, Matthew 18, 18, 19, 20, that if we were gathered together in your name on this earth, we could ask you for anything and you would do it. And Father, I realize this is to the obedient children you're talking to. This is not just anybody. This is to the obedient children that are keeping your commandments, that are walking in love, that are doing what you say, because those are the only kind of people you hear their prayer. So, Father, I want to thank you that we have repented of our sins and we have asked you to forgive us so we know you do that because you said that in your word. So, Father, I want to ask you to send us this next week within the next few days or a week or two or whatever, Lord, as soon as possible, a beautiful rain, three or four or five inches of slow, good soaking rain, to fill up the tanks, fill up the cracks in the ground and the water, the grass and the trees and the flowers and everything. And we're so thankful that you hear us and we want to thank you in advance abundantly, Lord, for hearing this prayer and sending us a beautiful rain. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, the other day I had a half inch. We prayed on Sunday and you sent us a half inch. So, Lord, I am grateful. I've told you several times how grateful I was for that half inch. 
But Lord, we sure do need a lot more. <clears throat> but Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you too for the three or four or five inches you're going to send in the next few days. Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Because you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now Lord, if we study your word tonight, I ask you to bless us in everything we do as we study your word. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Praise the King. Does anybody have a, a testimony you want to give us before we get started in the Word? Uh, if somebody's got a testimony, I'll let you give it if you want to give it. Otherwise, we'll go right into Bible study. All right, praise the Lord. <coughs> okay, some of the things that we need to learn that's so clear in the Word, and one of those things I'm going to go over again tonight, uh, I've, I've had... Uh, this, so many people, uh, in fact, I had a gentleman here a while back. I was teaching in another church over in North Dallas, and there was an elderly gentleman in his 80s when I made this statement. He stood up and said, can I ask a question right here? I said, yes. He said, you're quoting the Word of God. You told us where to go. I am following along with you, but I don't see what you're saying in my Bible. He said, I don't see it like that. I said, well, okay. I said, let me go get mine, <clears throat> and let's open it up, and we'll all read along together. And then I want to see if you can find it this time. And so we went back, and we started, and <clears throat> this was the subject that we were talking about. Getting your prayers answered, <clears throat> and why there's no power in the church. That's what I was talking about that night. Because I was a member of a church for many, many, many years. And I never saw a single person come to the front for prayer that got an answer to their prayer on the spot. I, have never, I had never seen that. I had never seen anybody get a miraculous healing. I mean, of course, I was a member of a Baptist church. And so I guess the reason we didn't see that because we really didn't believe God would do that. And so since he's a faith God, that's one of the reasons he never does those kind of things for you because you don't expect him to do those kind of things. And so since you don't expect it, you don't get it. So I had never seen those kind of things happen. I had never heard anybody say in my life one single time that they had ever heard an audible voice that sounded audible that was God speaking to them. And I mean, by this time, I'm a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. I mean, been on every committee there is in the church, uh, everything. Served everywhere. But I had never had the privilege to live in this world. So, some people, I now realize some people have heard that voice of God, but very few people ever talk about it. So, some of you have and some of you have not. But anyway, we're talking about why there's no power in the church. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons there's no power in the church is because we don't walk holy before God. We walk in sin. Now, somebody said, well, you know, what is sin? Well, last Sunday I gave a little uh, explanation of something that happened to me only a few weeks ago. And it took me a couple of weeks to figure out to, for God to totally reveal to me what I'd done wrong. Now then, 
Proverbs 26, 2 clearly says that no curse can come upon you undeserved. Now, if that's true, and we know it is because God put it in His Word, if Proverbs 26, 2 says no curse comes upon you undeserved, then any time you start coming down with something, a sickness or a problem or the devil starts beating up on you, you have something you're not doing right. Now, now the body of Christ don't want to hear this. They, don't want, they just don't want to hear this at all. I mean, if I have a devil after me, first of all, we don't believe there is a devil in the church. We certainly don't believe he can come inside of one of us. But let me tell you, that's wrong too. He certainly can and he will. But he only does it when he has legal right through your sin. Now then, as I walk in divine health with no problems, whenever something comes upon me, my first question is, God, what did I do wrong? If no curse comes upon me undeserved, then if I start coming down with a stopped up head, what did I do wrong? You know, for a few years, <clears throat> I walked in divine health. And then I thought, well, it's just a coincidence, you know, that I've not been sick, you know, for 10 years. And, you know, you get to thinking, well, it's just a, you know, just one of those things, right? Because I used to have a cold or a flu at least once every year. And I'm learning the Word, standing on the Word, have received Jesus as my healer. I'm doing all the things the Lord tells me to do. And when He says, if you will do everything I tell you to do in my Word, He says, I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you. Now, that's in the Word several times. So, you know, when you read that, and you think, if I'll be obedient and do everything He says, He will take all sickness and disease away from me. Then if I start to come down sick, then I must have done something wrong. Somebody said, no, 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 Thurman, couldn't be. Couldn't be. So one day I thought, you know, I know I'm not supposed to put God to the test. But, you know, I'd like to find out if this really works or not. This is dangerous ground now, Michael. Dangerous place to walk. But I thought, you know, is it a coincidence I've walked with no sickness and disease for all these years? Or am I doing something right in God's Word? I thought, well, today's the day I'm going to find out. So there was a young man working for me, and I walked down into his office, and he had a business associate, a salesman or something, that was there talking to him. And I walked in the door, and I called his name, and I said, have you taken care of this uh, item that I asked you to take care of last week? He said, no, Thurman, I really haven't had time. I'll try to do it as soon as I can. And I said, didn't I tell you I was in a hurry? I wanted that done? Well, yeah. I said, I can't believe you haven't done this to me, for me. I said, you know, I'm the boss around here. You know that? And I'm raising my voice, and he says, he's looking at me thinking, what is wrong with you? He's never seen me go there in his entire life. And the guy that's sitting there, he said, you know, you ought to be a little easier on the boy. And I said, you know, you keep your mouth shut. If I didn't need anything from you, I'll ask you. And he didn't say another word. He just backed off. I'm thinking, whoa. I said, now you do, you get what I told you taken care of. You hear me? And I walked out and shut the door. 
And I walked out and I started up to the top of the stairs and I didn't get to the top of the stairs till I started coming down with a stopped up nose. I said, now wait a minute, this new devil of hell. I said, I have all power and authority over you. You can't do this to me in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you and command you to leave me. And it got worse. And the time I got to my office, it was far worse. I thought, what is this? You know, is this spiritual, is these spiritual principles that God's talking about in His Word, no curse comes up only undeserved? Is this really true? And there is a set of spiritual beings that's watching over this world. When I make a mistake or do something that opens the door, just like it says in the Word of God, but, you know, nobody, hardly anybody that I'd ever run into knew or believed these things or at least was teaching these things. And so I sat up there in my office for an hour or two, and I got worse and worse and worse. And I continued to rebuke the devil, and I got worse. And I thought, you know, this is working just exactly like I thought it would. So I walked back down to the young man's office, and I walked in, and I said, uh, i got to ask you to forgive me for what I'd done a while ago. He said, Thurman, I could n- you've never done anything like that. He said, I couldn't believe you walked in here and did what you did. I said, well, you wouldn't understand if I told you for what reason I was doing this. But I said, will you forgive me? He said, well, I don't know. I said, you have to. You know that, don't you? I taught him the word well. He said, well, yeah, I remember you said I have to forgive. If I don't forgive, God won't forgive me. Is that right? And I said, oh, yeah, that's what he said. I said, that's why I come back to ask you to forgive me, because I thought you probably had a grudge against me. He said, okay, I forgive you. I said, by the way, who was that guy who was sitting there? <clears throat> he said, that was so-and-so. I said, you have his phone number? He said, yeah. I said, let me have it. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to call him and apologize, too. So he gave me the number, and I went to my office, and I called the guy. I rebuked the devil going back to my office, and it didn't get no better. It got worse. So I got to my office, and I picked up the phone. I called the guy and asked if this was him, and he said, yes. And I said, well, you know, I kind of blew up down there in the office and said a few things, and I said, I want you to know I'm sorry, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. He said, wow. He said, I don't think I ever had anybody blow up like that that quick, but I sure never had anybody call that quick to repeat. <laughs> he said, I, I, you know, I absolutely receive that, and I do forgive you. And he said, I don't know why you did it, but he said, obviously you had something on your plate I didn't understand. And so he said, I just knew I didn't need to say anything else. And so he, I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I really love God. And I go to church, teach a Sunday school class, all the things he told me. I said, well. I am too, but I said, I can't share with you what I was doing because I don't think you would quite understand at this point. But anyway, I said, main thing is, do you forgive me? He said, yes. I said, good. I hung up the phone and I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of me in Jesus' name. And in five minutes, my head was totally clear. Now, isn't that amazing? The other day, I had another little encounter similar to that. I told it in church. It's been a long time since I've had an encounter like this. But the other day, something really simple happened. I, I had about three or four days of the same thing. <clears throat> and I thought, Lord, 
what did I do wrong this time? Do you know that Romans 14.23 says anything you do that's not of faith is sin? That covers a large spectrum. Romans 14.23. In Romans 14, Paul's talking about eating. He's talking about eating food. If you eat food not in faith, you sin. Let me ask this question. I don't want you to hold up your hand. But how many of you have had a glass of water today that you didn't bless before you drank it? How many of you have had a plate of food with someone that you didn't bless before you ate it? If you did, you didn't do it in faith. The Lord tells you to bless everything that goes in your body. Take everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Everything. Do all things in prayer with thanksgiving. So if you had a meal today that you didn't bless the, ask the Lord to bless it to your physical body, you sinned. Because you didn't do what God told you to do. And it could open the door to a demonic spirit to come to you. Somebody says, it's not that critical. Well, it's a good thing that God is merciful. That's all i got to say. Because if He wasn't, there wouldn't be a single one of us be here today. Every one of us would be dead. But <clears throat> He says in His Word, to them that much is given, much is required. He holds those of us that He's given more knowledge. He has give, holds us much more knowledgeable than He does others. So the other day... Cheryl, my wife, my lovely wife, she came up the other day, and I guess it was 3 o'clock when she came out to the minister center. And she come bouncing in there, and she said, Honey, you had anything to eat today? That's the way she made the statement. And I looked over and said, No. Something twinged in me when I said that. And I thought, What's wrong? Well, she said, Did you have anything to eat today? I said, No. Well, I really told her a lie because that morning I'd had a bowl of cereal about 9 o'clock. I was out the minister center and I had a bowl of cereal, but then I was busy working and I didn't eat anything else. So kind of when she came out and said, Did you have, have you had anything to eat yet? I kind of thinking, she's thinking about we're going to go eat dinner in a few minutes. And so uh, when I said, No, I haven't had anything to eat. But the question was, have you had anything to eat today? Well, I lied to her. I had had a bowl of cereal about nine that morning. In that lie, God held me accountable for that. And I had, it took me several days to drive that beast out. I had a evil spirit come upon me and begin to stop up my head for three or four or five days. I fought that battle with that devil and I was repenting of everything. I said, Lord, if I have sinned somewhere, I repent. And finally, after repenting, but it took me, it took me a couple of weeks to fully realize and continue to question the Lord. Lord, what did I do? And finally, those thoughts came to me. When Cheryl asked you the other day, had you had anything to eat today? You said, no. You lied. And that's what opened the door to the devil. I told you to put on the gird your loins about with truth. When you gird your loins about with truth, they're girded and you have that covering around you until you tell a lie. When you tell a little lie, there's a little crack there. When that little crack comes, 
Then there is an Ephesians 6.16 fiery dart of the devil that can be fired. Now he's sitting there with his bow drawn, Michael. You know that? The beast loves to get you and me. You know that? You know, but not you and me, but the rest of us in here too. Because he's watching us like a hawk. And whenever we sin, God either says yes or no, that he can, he can fire that arrow. Now, he's the only one. See, all power on heaven and earth has been given to the king. All power. The devil cannot blink an eyelash without God saying, okay. When he says, okay, the devil can blink an eyelash. But all power in heaven and earth has been given to the king. And he's in total control. But he has this host of beings, these terrible spirits, evil spirits, we call demons or unclean spirits. And when we do certain things, we open the door to invite these beasts into our flesh or to our body to torment us. Well, Romans 14.23 says, Anything you do that's not a faith is sin. Now, before we get into the teaching in the Word, I'm going to I'm going to tell you one more story because these stories sometimes really help you. After I had learned how to walk in divine health for a little while, one day, and I've told this story on many a tape, but <clears throat> and some of you may have heard it, some of you may be tired of hearing it, but still, it's a very awesome story. I was walking in divine health. And a man walked in and handed me a sheet of paper and said, have you read this fax? And I said, well, I don't know. And he handed it to me and I looked at it. And the fax said, if certain things were to happen within our company, they might have to close the engineering division. Now, I was director of engineering, so I had a very good job. I made real good money, had a lot of people under me. I had a very large section of the United States that I was responsible for. I traveled a lot, and I was my own boss, and I loved doing what I do. I worked directly for an executive VP, and I hardly ever saw the guy. He'd call me on the telephone once in a while, say, Thurman, certain, certain place, we're going to start some new business there. You need to go up there and see what they need. And I'd go get up there and design and build and get whatever equipment, freezers, coolers, anything we needed to set it up and get it done in the length of time. And I loved what I did, you know, and I, I really did enjoy it. But I was making good money. And when you really enjoy what you're doing and you're getting paid well, too, there's not anything wrong with living, right? <clears throat> Everybody would like to be there. Well, I had one of those kind of jobs. And I was grateful to the Lord that I had it. But whenever I read that fax, this is what came out of my mouth. If they close the engineering division, I wonder what would happen to me. Now then, some people say, well, I don't see any sin in that. Well, let me tell you. In this book, we as children of God are supposed to trust the king as our provider and not our companies. If you trust your company as your provider, you're sinning. Somebody said, good grief, this stuff is too hard to walk in. That's why very few, if Almost nobody walks in it. That's why it's so difficult. Because it is difficult. It is a serious thing 
to learn to control your tongue. From all these experiences I've had from what wrapped around the Word of God, that's why I made those three CDs back there on the tongue. Because I want you to know, with your tongue, you can sin just as easy as I did. Now that day, <clears throat> here I am in divine health. I mean perfect health. Ain't not a thing wrong with me. I never felt better in my life. And I read that fax and make that statement. Gee, if this happens and they close the engineering division, I wonder what's going to happen to me. And instantly, I was hitting with, I was hit with a fiery dart right in my head and my head began to split open like a migraine headache and sinus fluid ran out of both nostrils off my chin before I could reach over and get a Kleenex. That's how quick it happened. A demon entered my body that quick. In fact, the guy that was standing there talking to me, he said, Good grief, Thurman, did a river just break loose in your head? He couldn't, he couldn't feel the, the headache. All he could see was the fluid running out of my nose. I told him, no, that's okay. And anyway, I told him, I said, I, I need some time by myself. And so he left. And immediately when he walked out of my office, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I sinned. I am so sorry that I sinned. I said, Lord, I've been trusting you as my provider, but yet I voiced with my mouth, I'm trusting this company. I said, Lord, I'm not trusting this company. I'm trusting you. I said, I repent of my sin. I said, now, devil of hell, you have no authority over me. In the name of Jesus, you will come out of me. And he did not come out. Now, I've repented, but he does not come out. Now, I've come to learn in the Word of God when it says in Ephesians chapter 6, it said there is, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. So, we've got... A hierarchy here from the lowest gen or the lowest authority, whatever, however high up you want to put them, all the way up to spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Now, the third one in that realm is the rulers of darkness. Obviously, they must be more powerful. Now, I don't know. I only have to hear. I only have to look at the order that Paul put them in and see there's definitely different layers of power in these principalities or these demons. Well, obviously, I got a big one that day. He was not a little buck private. Because when I tried to kick him out, he didn't go. He's bucking up saying, I'm not going. You know? And that's the way some of these demons are. But see, Paul clearly told us in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, a human being is not our enemy. Our enemy is a spiritual being that you cannot see. You can't see them. Now, they can manifest into a form where you can see at times. At times, you will be able to see them. Most of the time, you won't know it's a demon. But we have had experiences. Now, I personally have never seen the complete form of a demon manifest but one of the men that goes to this church on a regular basis, he's seen two of them manifest. One of them, human being, turned into a dragon in his sight, and the other one 
uh, turned into a lizard, a big green lizard sitting beside his wife in a chair in his doctor's office one day. And he's given us that testimony in this church. So he said, when you're sitting there talking to a woman and a man, and all of a sudden the man turns into a big green lizard about seven or eight feet tall. In fact, for those of you that weren't here that didn't hear his testimony on that, he was a doctor at the time. And uh, he said that he was, in, he was awestruck at this man and said this thing was huge. And he said, uh, uh, I got up and said, the woman stood up. I'm trying to talk to her. And this guy stood up and said, he's huge, a big giant lizard. And said, all of a sudden I think... So he said, I just don't know what to do. So I scream. I said, nurse, nurse, I need a nurse in here quick. <laughs> a big, strong guy needs a woman to go there and be out. So two nurses come running in real quick. And he said, I told him, said, I need some help. And I turned around and looked. And there was the guy. And he was a normal man again. He was not this green lizard. But said he was the man smirking at me. He said, the look on his face was something else. But he got to see a human being that had a demon in him turn into the demon. And it was a wicked-looking thing. It's really rocked his world. But that's what these beasts do. When they're in us, they drive us, they make us sick, they afflict us, and they come to do this to anybody. It doesn't make any difference who you are, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, these demons come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And that's what every human being on the face of the earth is fighting against. These invisible beings that we cannot see. But anyway, back to the story of myself. When I got the ruler of darkness, I just am assuming I didn't get a little principality or a power, but I got a ruler of darkness. Because he sure did not want to come out. And so I continued to rebuke him in the name of Jesus, because when you go back to the Word of God, when you, when you go to this scripture, I want you to see here in Luke, I want you to see a magnificent promise that Jesus made you and me as his children. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, it says, Luke 10:18, And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now then, how do you think that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Because he threw him out. He was the one that grabbed him by the nap of the neck whenever he rebelled up there and was going to exalt his throne above the Most High. His name was Lucifer. And Jesus reached over and grabbed the devil and flung him from the third heaven down into the second heaven, all the way to the earth. Now this, the Lord says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And then Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power or authority. Now he's talking to the obedient church. He's not talking to everybody on the world. So when people read this, they think, I have power over the devil. You have power over the devil as long as you're walking in obedience to God's word. Let me give you a scenario to kind of parallel that on the earth. You drive down that road out there in your car coming to Bible study night. As long as you was in a car that all the stickers and insurance and everything was current and you were driving the speed limit, you passed a police officer sitting on the side of the road, did you, did you have to worry? Did you have to worry? 
Why? Because you were obeying the law. Yeah, but you were in a hurry to get to Bible study and you were late and you were driving 80 and the speed limit was 50. Now when you passed that hill and saw a little guy sitting there, you got to worry. Because more than likely, he's, first thing you're going to see is a bunch of red and blue lights, green lights come on top of that thing. And he's right after you. And you know he's after you, right? You know he's after you because you know you're guilty. When I see, as long as you obey the law, the executive department can't touch you, can they? Only when you break the law. It's the same thing in the spirit world. When you break the spiritual laws of God, these little critters called demons are there to step in and make these things come to pass for God. It's amazing what he has. But Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents or the devil and his scorpions or his demons and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now see, he didn't put right there, I'm only talking to the obedient church. But everywhere you read from Genesis all the way through, there's never an exception to the rule. He says, if you obey. If you keep my commandments, if you do everything I tell you to do in my word, then these good things will happen. Is that true? If you really read the word of God, you'll find out not one time does he ever, either under the law or under the new covenant, never does he give us power over nothing until we repent of our sins and walk in obedience to his word. Is that right, Sharon? That's what, so we got to realize these promises, as great and powerful as they are, they're not to the whole church. They're only to the obedient church, those that walk in love. Now then, if it wasn't that way, if you had a demon because you had sinned and he had been sent to you by God and he was tormenting you and you told him to go, what would he have to do? He'd have to go. But why do they not go? Well, see, I didn't understand this principle for years. I would spend, when I first started in the deliverance ministry, when God began to reveal to me a little bit about demons, I might spend all night long with two or three or four people, and we're screaming at demons trying to kick them out of somebody. And they're kicking, screaming, clawing, doing all kinds of things. Some of y'all have seen manifestations of demons like this. Some of you have had them yourself. Some of you have had your children that had them in them. It's not uncommon for little children to have demons. And whenever, I mean, your child may get up every morning and they want to go to school. They may just be that kind of a child. They may get up early. They want to play or on Saturday morning. Man, they're up before daylight. They want to go outside and play and everything's good. But on Sunday morning. You're going to get to sleep in because you don't have to come to church till 9.45. So you get to sleep in till 8. The rest of the time of the week you get up at 6. But at 9 o'clock you go and say, Hey, honey, your little 3-year-old, 4-year-old, 5-year-old, get up and let's go to church. And they go into a tantrum. What do you mean waking me up at 8 o'clock in the morning? I'm sleeping in today. And they're in control. Some of those little people are in control in the homes. Because mom and daddy does not realize what they're fighting against. Okay, the rest of the week. 
I mean, I have experienced this in children many times. Anytime I see a little child that starts a tantrum, and I just get up and start toward them, I can see the fear come over them. I may not even be the parent. I can talk gentle to them. Sometimes they will listen. And sometimes they may be out standing outside with their mother and father. And they seem to be perfectly normal. They're just standing there listening to everybody talk. And I walk up beside them and kneel down beside them. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And they start to run. When they start to run, you know who that is. That's the devil. So you reach over and grab them. Three or four or five year old child. I've seen it. This week, I had an experience just like that this week. Three-year-old child. Tantrum right in my office. You know, get outside. You know, it's demons. That's what it is. Demons. You know, you can cast these demons out in the name of Jesus. What did Jesus say right there? Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy... And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now you got to remember, he should have put right in front of that, this is for the obedient believer. The obedient believer. Because that's what it means. Those that are walking in love. Walking in love. Well, when you realize that you have this kind of power over these demons, but you've got to realize it's only after you've repented So I used to try to cast out demons and spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to cast a demon out. And they'd talk back at you. They'd cuss at you. They'd spit on you. They'd do everything in the world to hurt you. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't get them out. And sometimes I might finally get them out. And then next week, I see that person. They got the same problem they had before I cast a demon out. He's like, I don't understand this, God. I mean, you know, you said here we can cast out demons. I don't understand. But I've learned. I've learned well. I've had too many wonderful experiences, and the Lord has spoken to me too many times. But think about that verse. How much power did He say He give you over the devil? All. Well, why is it then when I had sinned, and this demon came in, and I have a migraine headache, my nose is running like a river, why is it that when I rebuke this devil, he doesn't leave? I don't, I don't know either. I do not understand right now. But see, God knows what He's doing. He's training me, bringing me to a new level. In other words, if every demon that you kicked out went out real easy, then you'd get to where this is a piece of cake. No problem. All you got to do is say, well, all you need to do is repent of your sin. We'll kick this devil out and he'll go. And he has to go. And I've seen that many times in children. I mean, I've seen children on their deathbed. I've seen children in hospitals that had never been out of the hospital, two years old. And when I cast a demon out in two weeks, the child's well and goes home. I've seen that. I've seen some awesome experiences. But these are demons that are doing this. Well, i got one now, and this beast is making my head hurt. Did he get in by legal right? Yes, he did. What did I do? I was trusting my company as my provider, and I voiced that with my tongue. And when I did, the devil knew that was a sin. And so he knew I was not trusting God, and so he entered me. I mean, just like that. And a a ruler of darkness, I'm assuming. Because this ruler of darkness, once he entered me, 
I mean, my head was splitting open like it was, oh, man, somebody's pounding. And that sinus fluid, I've never had anything like it. Just constant run, just pouring out. I could blow my nose and take it, and I'd have to hold, I'd walk around with a Kleenex all the time. I had never before or since had an experience like that. But anyway, I continued to rebuke the enemy. For four days and nights, I rebuked the enemy. Everybody thought I'd lost my mind. I told them, I'm not taking any medication. This is a demon. I sinned. I've repented. I'm driving this beast out. The Word of God says, I have all power over this beast. I am not giving up. I am driving this devil out in the name of Jesus. Did the Word of God say I had all power over him? Had I repented of all my sins? Yes, and I told the Lord I was sorry. Did the Lord say in 1 John 1, 9, When you sin, you repent, and I will forgive you? Did He say that? Did He say He would restore you to fellowship? Okay, if He said that, then you're restored to fellowship. 1 John 1, 9. He clearly says, When you sin, or if you sin, when you repent, in other words, I will forgive you and restore you to fellowship. But what most of us don't realize, when we sin, we open this door to the devil. And of course, when that devil gets in, some people never learn you can cast him out, even after you've repented of your sins, and these be stay in you all of your life. And they will make you sick, they will torment you, they will afflict you, they will make your life miserable, and all kinds of things will happen all through your life because of the sins that you committed and these things come in and you didn't do what Jesus told you. Jesus told you to cast them out. And most people don't believe they can even have a demon. And so that's why we go around sick and afflicted so much. When you learn the truth, you can repent of your sins, you can drive the devil out and you can get healed. And I've seen people many times instantly healed. Instantly healed. I mean, just, I couldn't even tell you how many times. But anyway, I am rebuking this devil and driving him out according to the Word of God. And he's not leaving. I mean, I am quoting every verse in this Bible that I know, which are many of them, that I have been given power and authority over the devil, and he has to be subject to me, but he's not going away. The fourth morning, I become so violent with the devil. You know when you know something is yours? You just know it's yours? But the enemy's not going to let you have it? Sometimes you have to get forceful and take it away from them? Most people think, well, that doesn't sound very Christian-like to do that. Well, let me tell you, there's times you have to get like that when the devil's involved. Sometimes you can't be that little gentle woman. Even that little gentle man. You, begot, you have to become a raging torrent with the Word of God. Well, that's what I had become that fourth morning. I knew the devil's what made me sick. I knew that in Acts 10.38, Jesus clearly said, He was sent here, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, and went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. So if people were oppressed to the devil, you think that's still what's oppressing us? Sure, it's never changed. The devil. So that fourth morning, I became so violent with the Word of God. I mean, I am screaming it. I'm not talking gentle no more. I am screaming the Word of God. 
I am rebuking that devil and I'm telling him, devil, in the name of Jesus. I said, Jesus got forceful with you. I mean, I can look at times in here when the demon come, the very first thing happened. Jesus goes in and says, I am the son of God. I have come to set the uh, captive free, to preach good news to the poor and all this stuff. And a man jumped up out of church and said, I know who you are. You're the holy one of God. You know? Now, Jesus, he looked right out there, and he wasn't gentle. He looked right at him, and he said, shut up and come out of him in church. And it says, and that demon tore the man, throw him down on the ground, flopped around, and he foamed at the mouth. You don't see many of those kind of experiences in church today, do you? Not too many. But Jesus was bold as a lion. And when he was bold as a lion, when he commanded that demon to come out, was there any sin in Jesus? None. So what did that demon have to do? He had to obey. He had to obey. It didn't make it what that man had sinned or done. Whenever the holy man of God, which was Jesus standing there, commanded that devil to come out, he had to obey him. And he came out. And the man was set free and healed. Well, I've been working on doing this now for four days, and he's not left me. So I got to thinking about some of these things where Jesus was so forceful. And so I got forceful. And I'm screaming, come out of me, you devil of hell. I have no sin in my life. I said, you beast, I quoted the word of God, and I said, now you go in the name of Jesus. And I was screaming it at the top of my lungs. And I reached over and took my fist. And I hit the dash of my pickup and I said, go in Jesus' name. Just like that. Bam. He left and I was instantly healed. No headache. No runny nose. No stopped up head. No afterthoughts. You ain't never took a pill that worked like that. I guarantee you. But that demon, when he left, I was instantly set free. Clear. My head was clear. My nose was dry. I had no more headache, nothing. As soon as that demon left. And then when I saw that, I was so dumbfounded. I just fell back in the seat of my pickup. I'm driving down the road. I thought, Lord, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, there comes a marquee across the sky. It looks like it might have been in my head. I don't know where it was. But all I know is I saw it. And it says, Matthew eleven twelve. I said, Lord, I have read that verse at least a hundred times. I have never understood that verse until right now. But that verse says, since the coming of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven. Now, where's the kingdom of heaven? Where is it? It's in you. If you're a born again Christian, the kingdom of heaven moved into you. So the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. So that means we have suffered violence. Who do you suffer violence from? The devil. But it says, the violent take it by force. Now then, you can't take it by force if you're still living in sin. You can't get forceful enough to take it if the sin is still there. You can scream and kick and lay down and flop and roll around and do everything. But until you get that sin repented, that demon's not going to leave. Now, I didn't know that until I learned what I'm going to teach you out of Matthew 18 today. 
This is when I got this revelation. I saw that. I realized this. I'm learning all these things. And slowly but surely, over the years, God's putting these pieces together for me so I will understand. But one day, one Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, my phone rang and a Baptist preacher was on the other line. He said, Thurman, I have a woman... I would like for you to come down this afternoon after church. After we get out of church, we have this woman. And said, she has a very serious problem. Said, she's had a hysterectomy. And that didn't solve her problem. She has this serious back problem. And the doctors thought if they'd done a hysterectomy on her, that would correct her back problem. But said it didn't. Didn't change it. In fact, she said she's gotten worse. He said, I believe this problem is spiritual. Well, he's on the right track. Let me tell you, every problem you have starts in the spirit world. None of them starts except they start in the spirit world first. I didn't know that either for a lot of years. But now I understand everything is spiritual. Everything starts in the spirit world, and then your problems start in the physical world. Whether it be the lack of finances, whether it be the lack of sickness... Or whether it be sickness, or whether it be pain, or the lack of pain, or anything else. All these things are caused by demon spirits. But anyway, I told him, I said, sure, I'll meet you after church today. About what time? He said, about 2 o'clock. I'd like for you to drive down to Fort Worth. told me at an intersection. He said, I'll pick you up right there, and then I'll drive you to this home. I said, okay. So, I met him 2 o'clock, and we went over to this home. When we walked up to this home over in uh, Fort Worth, I really couldn't even tell you where it was. Now, it's been so many years, I don't remember where we went. I was talking to him. We pulled up in front of this house. We went inside. And when we went inside, we walked in and there was the husband. They had four boys and uh, a woman and another man, which I learned later was a sister and brother-in-law. And uh, then he and I. And... Uh, as we talked a few minutes, I said, well, where is the lady I want, you want me to minister to? And the husband said, well, she's in the bedroom and she just won't hardly come out. Said she stays in the daytime, she stays in the bedroom with the blinds pulled and sometimes even gets in bed and covers her head up. She wants to be as dark as possible all the time. I said, well, go in and get her. So they went in and tried to get her and come back out and they said, she won't see you. I said, well, let's stop and pray. So we prayed, and I rebuked the spirits, command them to take her, their hands off of the girl. I said, now go back in there and get her and bring her out here. She will come out. They went and got her, and when they brought her out, she had real heavy black hair. I walked into the room, big archway. I'll never forget that big doorway. There was no door, just an archway. And when they walked in, her sister was on one side, her husband was on the other side, and she had her head down like this, hair hanging, heavy black hair hanging down in, in front of her face. And I've never seen this woman before in my life. And the minute they walked around that corner, these were the words came out of her mouth. I hate you. I am mean. I will hurt you. A normal Baptist deacon would definitely have been offended and went home. But praise God that some of us are not normal Baptist deacons. You know, some of us have been trained by God to handle these kind of situations. I told him, I said, bring the woman over and set her down in the chair. 
And I brought over and set her down. I rebuked the spirit, commanded to come out. He screamed back at me and said, No, I'm not coming out. Wow. I thought, this thing, I've got a live wire here. I said, Ma'am, what you need is Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And she screamed at me, No, I don't want nothing to do with Him. Don't want nothing to do with Jesus? Wow, something wrong with you, isn't there? Yeah, she's got a demon. So I began to rebuke the devil. I said, you foul spirit of hatred and anger and rage, I command you to come out of her. And this devil, he said, screamed back at me and says, no, I have legal right to be here. I am not coming out. I thought, now wait a minute. Now these things are all liars. You know, God told me in his word that the devil never tells the truth. But this thing's telling me that he has legal right to be here. I've never heard such a thing. I mean, I've been a Baptist all of my life. They ain't never taught me nothing like this, I can assure you. I said, legal right to be here? I said, Lord, you told me in your word to cast out demons. I said, it's in the word. I said, Lord, I'm doing my best to kick this devil out of this woman. And he's not going. Why? And the Lord said, because I sent him. Because you sent him? God, this woman, this precious little woman, has a demon because you sent him? I thought, man, this don't make no sense. I didn't think God would send a demon to one of his children or to anybody. Would you think so? We don't see God like that, do we? We don't think he will do these kind of things. Well... Let me tell you, in that story, when it was all over, when I found out what was causing the problem, I found out it was unforgiveness. The Lord revealed it to me. She had unforgiveness and toward her first husband that had left her with those first two boys, run off and left her. She had a good reason to hate him. You know, here he brings two, little, two boys into the world. When the second one's born, she's still in the hospital. She needs all the help, support she can get. And this guy walks off and leaves her. They don't ever come back. That'd be a good reason to hate a guy, wouldn't it? But you can't do that. You can't go there. But she did because she didn't know. She was a normal woman. She didn't realize that this had opened a door for a demonic spirit to come to torment her. And it had ruined most of her life since that. And she really had had all these problems. Well, before the evening was over, I learned what I needed to learn. I got her set free, got the woman saved and everything, and got her healed the whole nine yards that afternoon. And when I walked out that door with that Baptist preacher, and we were on the way home, he said, Thurman, I would have given anything to have a video camera to video what happened in this house today. He said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He said, you were as bold as a lion against that demon. You were as gentle as a lamb to that woman. But he said, it was awesome to see you commanding that demon to leave and that thing talking out of her mouth with that masculine voice saying he's not coming out. You found her sin. You got her to repent of her sin. And then you boldly commanded the demon to come up and to come out. And he left just like that. And then when I told the woman, I said, now what you need is Jesus. And I mean to tell you, yes, yes, I want to be saved. That easy to get her saved. Then this woman that hated me, that was going to punch me out, that was going to hurt me, 
I mean, once I got her saved and asked the Lord to put the Holy Spirit in her, she jumped out of her chair. Well, I mean, I'm spring-loaded still, you know, because you have to stay that way. Well, I jump up, of course, when I do. This woman grabs me and starts kissing me on the cheek. And I thought, she said, oh, I'm so, I, I, I'm so grateful for what you did. She said, I want you to pray for my boys. I want you to pray for my husband. And this woman just quit kissing me on the cheek. And I think, wow, a few minutes ago this woman wanted to kill me. And now this woman won't stop kissing me. I thought, wow, what a change. Well, all those stories to bring you to Matthew 18, 19. And I want to show you in the word, I'm actually start verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. That's where we're going to start. And I want to show you this experience that I've learned as I read, have had these experiences. And then when I came to the Word of God, the Lord would show me this is what He's talking about. Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? I mean, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, if your brother comes and messes you up seven times a day and you forgive him seven times, that ought to be plenty for anybody, shouldn't it, young lady? I mean, brother, you'd think that'd be enough, wouldn't you? I mean, good grief. I mean, somebody says, seven? Give me a break. I'm not forgiving the first time after that. I'm going to slap him backhanded. That's what I'm going to do. That's kind of the way the world looks at it, isn't it? But Peter thinks he's really being lenient. Lord, seven times? But Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, it must be extremely important for you to forgive seventy times seven in a day. That's a whole lot, you know. That's 490 times a day. I mean, boy. I mean, if Jesus tells you to forgive them 490 times, then there must be a consequence that comes along with unforgiveness that you don't want to mess with. That must be what he's trying to tell us here. Something very important. Jesus is not going to tell you to forgive 490 times a day unless there's some kind of a serious consequence that's going to happen to you, right? He's not just talking here. He is giving us an example of kingdom principles. Then he says there, he says, let me tell you a story, Peter. In verse 23, there is, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now he's telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Where is the kingdom of heaven? In us. That's right. That's where it is. So he says here, And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Now I realize when I used to read that, that didn't mean nothing to me because I didn't know what a talent was. But I read the little line right under it and I understood this. This says $3.84 billion. Now I understood that, brother. On terms today, 10,000 talents, that don't sound like much. I mean, you know, it might be $10,000. I don't know. $10,000 ain't nothing today. You can't buy much with it, can you? You can't even make a hardly make a down payment on a new car with $10,000 anymore. So $10,000 is not a lot of money today. So, But if somebody even today says $3.84 billion, I mean, that makes the cash register jingle, doesn't it? $3.84 billion. Hey, that's a lot of bucks any way you look at it. But So he owed a big debt. 
And it says, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Who was going to be sold? He was. And his wife. Who else was going to be sold with him? His wife. And children. And all that he had. Houses, lands, airplanes, bank accounts. All that he had was going to be sold and payment to be made. Now, right there, there is a very, very significant little statement made in that verse. When you owe this big debt, not only is that banker going to come get the man, but he's going to come get his wife and his children and every asset he had. He's going to take it all. Everybody's going to be accountable. Not just the man, but the whole family. Now then, this, this really begins to take on a whole new meaning now all of a sudden. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, the Lord. Now that's the first thing he done right. He fell down and worshipped. If you get in a situation like this, this is the first thing you need to do. Fall down and worship the Lord. And he said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now look at the mercy of God. Then the Lord of that servant, that's our Lord, he was moved with compassion and he loosed him or forgave him the entire debt. Is that a pretty big debt for somebody to forgive? How would you like to have a little note down at the bank, just a two hundred and fifty thousand, and somebody comes down and say, "I'm going to redeem that for you tomorrow. I'm going to pay that off." Would you be a happy camper? Hallelujah. I would be. Hallelujah! That's what I say too. Glory to God. Woo! Just a little tiny dinky debt, just a quarter million, you know. I mean, some of us, that's a big debt, but that's nothing compared to three point eight four billion. You know how much one billion is? One. Thousand million. One thousand million. It's just one dinky billion. This guy owed 3.84 billion. I mean, that's big bucks. That's a little normal. Well, some of y'all out there, y'all probably deal in those kind of numbers every day, but Cheryl and I, we don't deal in those kind of numbers. <laughs> but we don't, none of us deal in those kind of numbers, probably. But then he says there, In verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Now, my Bible says that's $3,200. Now, the difference between $3,200 and $3.84 billion is not... That's peanuts. Peanuts, right? But he went out and found a servant that owed him a hundred pence and he laid hands on him... And took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that you owe me. I mean, get a hold of this scene. This guy's just been forgiven $3.84 billion. Here's a guy that owes him $3,200 or whatever your Bible says. And he just don't go up to him and say, Hey, brother, could you pay me that $3,200 you owe me? No, he runs out there and grabs him by the neck and begins to choke him. And the guy falls on his knees, begging, Please don't kill me, I'll pay you. And the guy says, No! I will not forgive you. Wow. What a guy. 
What a guy. Well, let's see what, let's see what the story goes on. But his fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And verse 30 says, And he would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Gee, what a nice guy. Paid, throwed the guy in jail for $3,200. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto their Lord... All that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O you wicked servant. Now this is the one he'd just forgiven, the $10,000 of the $3.84 billion. He called him back in. Thurman, get back in here. I just forgave you that big debt a while ago, but you went out there and found one of your fellow buddies that owed you a dinky little stinking debt and you wouldn't forgive him. Get back in here. I have something to tell you. He said he was angry. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me to. Shouldest not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry. Now, if there's anything you don't want to do, you don't want to tick off the king. When you make the king mad, you're in big trouble. Well, this big boy here made the king mad. He said, and he was mad, and he delivered him to the tormentors. Who do you think that is? Tormentors. Well, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference who it is here, whether they're physical or spiritual. If they deliver you to the tormentors, this is the picture I used to see. They took him... And used to, I'd watched some old movies a long time ago where they'd take some guy and put him out there and put ropes on him, put a stretcher deal on him, and they'd stretch him out. Any of y'all ever seen one of them old movies? And the guy'd be up there laughing, and he said, Let me, were you going to give us this information? No, I can't tell you. And he said, oh, He's pulling him just a little bit further apart by the inch. Some of y'all seen them crazy old movies. When I used to be young and dumb, I used to watch that stupid stuff. I hadn't watched that stupid stuff in years. But you know what I mean. They were tormenting him. When we were in Vietnam, some of the men were tormented by the Viet Cong. You would not believe if I told you what they did to those men to torment them. How would you like for them to walk up to you and say, we want you to give us information, certain, certain information. You say, I don't have that information. They run out there and throw your hand down on a table. And they hold it down and they go get a bamboo shoot and slice it thin and they front it from your fingernail from to your cuticle and say, now tell me. How would you like to have somebody do you like that? And it hurts. And then they come back and say, now you're going to tell you. Say, well, I don't have the information. And they run another one right beside it, right up under the same fingernail. That make you kind of cringe a little just thinking about being tormented? Tormentors. They were turned over to the tormentors. You have no idea what some of the men that were in Vietnam went through. But just like a lot of other wars, most people don't. But this guy was turned over to the tormentors by the Lord. And then he says, and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all the 
was due unto him. Now let me tell you, if this guy couldn't pay this $3.84 billion, 10,000 talent bill while he was able to get out there and work, what chance do you think he's going to have making it while he's turned over to the tormentors in prison? He ain't never going to live long enough, is he? He's going to die in there being tormented. But verse 35 is the clincher. Verse 35, Jesus said, So likewise, Peter, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. If every Christian could read that story like I read it right there, and you could still hold a grudge against someone, you got a problem. you got a serious problem. There's a man walked out of my minister center just a few days ago. He walked up and I was out to the back welding. He come out there and he knew he had done something bad to me. He said, Thurman, he had tears in his eyes. I said, will you forgive me? I said, I didn't have nothing against you. I said, you think I'm a fool? I said, there ain't nothing you or nobody else can do to get me to hold a grudge. No way. You can't live long enough or do enough bad things to me to get me to get a grudge against you. I mean, who do I hurt, John, when I do something like that? Me. You get a grudge against somebody, you don't hurt them. You kill yourself. I mean, I don't know about most people. I don't want to die yet, do you? No, we don't want to be tormented. We don't be turned over to the tormentors. But here's the other thing that we miss. Not only do you get turned over to the tormentors, but up there at the beginning of that, when he was going to sell the man, who was going to have to go with him? The wife and who else? The children, and what else? All that he owned was going to become legal right to the tormentors. Now then, when I learned those principles, when I learned this, I began to see God do awesome miracles of healing, especially in children. You see a little child, three, four, five, six months, nine months, Ten years old at home with a serious disease or even in a hospital and a serious illness and there was nothing the doctors could do to heal it. As far as they knew, the child was going to be bound or die. I mean, a two-year-old child. Has a two-year-old child lived long enough to learn how to sin? No, no. They don't know. They don't know. But who has lived long enough? Their parents. Now, what if mother has an unforgiveness toward a cousin? Is that a sin? Will that open the door to the devil, to the whole family? Sure. Because when a man, this is talking about a man, but when a man and a woman get married, the two of them become how many? One. Now then, either one of you, the mother or the father, gets into unforgiveness, you open the spiritual door for your entire family to be tormented forever until the sins repented of. When the sins repented of, do the demons leave automatically? No. They have to be cast out. I've seen a, many a time a man or a woman or a child on a sick bed, extremely sick. I've seen children. I've seen a 10-year-old boy on a over at Cook's Medical Center, dying. He wasn't going to make it. They knew he wasn't going to make it. Had cancer. 
I found unforgiveness in the family. Got them to repent, went to the hospital, laid hands on the child, and rebuked the devil and commanded him to leave in the name of Jesus, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18. Now, see, Jesus made us a promise, and this is why the church so miserably fails in the healing ministry when they read a scripture like Mark 16, 17, and 18, where Jesus said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name you shall drive out devils. You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But if that sin is still there, then that curse is still there and you cannot cast that demon out to get that person healed or the children healed. But when you teach people these principles and they repent of their sins. In fact, I'll give you an example of a three-year-old girl. This was so awesome. When I learned this, there was a, this particular case I'm fixing to tell you happened at least 10 or 12 years ago. And there was a little three-year-old girl a young man in his 20s came into my office one morning, and I said, Son, you look bad. I said, What's wrong with you? And he said, Well, my three-year-old daughter's had a seizure. She's been down. She's been bound to that seizure for three days. And he said, We've been up night and day. We've had her in a doctor's office, in a hospital, everything, and nothing they can do helps. I said, Son, are you a Christian? He said, Yes. I said, Do you go to church? He said, Yes. I said, Do you tithe? He said, Yes. I said, uh, do you have any kind of sins that you know of? He said, well, I, not that I know of. I said, do you hold any grudges against anybody? He said, oh, no, I don't believe in grudges. I said, well, okay. I said, your wife, does your wife have any unforgiveness toward anybody? He said, oh, yeah, she's got an unforgiveness toward one of her cousins. She hates him with a passion. I said, that's it. That's the problem. I said, what we need to do is get your wife to go repent to God and then go get right with that cousin. And then come back to where your little daughter is and I'll show you how to get your daughter healed. I showed him all these same things and explained it to him. He said, he said, Thurman, I have been in church quite a bit, but he said, I never heard nobody talk about this. I said, don't feel bad. I've been in church a whole lot longer than you have. And I never heard nobody talking about it either. But I said, it's in the Word of God. That's all I'm interested in. How many of you know the Word of God says itself that no scriptures of private interpretation, but only as revealed to you by the Holy Ghost? Do you know you can read a scripture all your life and never get the true meaning of it until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you? And when He does, then you've got it. Then you've got it. But until then, you don't have it. You're just reading words. But anyway, they got right. She went and got right. In fact, guess what had happened? The morning or the afternoon or whatever it was, the day, that her husband left my office and went home and told his wife that did she have unforgiveness because he'd heard her talking about this cousin. And she said, you know, I don't understand what happened. She said, this morning... My aunt came by and told me I've been holding a grudge against my cousin too long. I need to get right with him. So then Grandpa come by a little later and told me I needed to get right and forgive my cousin. Is God trying to work here? But do we listen to him? Oh, no. 
We think we've got to have a flash of light and an audible voice from God. We don't realize God moves on the hearts of people and sends them out. They may not even know it. But God moves on people's hearts and they go do this. Just a thought. Come to your man. Go over and tell so-and-so that she needs to forgive her cousin. You know, just a thought. Who, who would have thought that was God talking to you? But you know, it is. The Holy Spirit. So anyway, she did have the unforgiveness. She did ask God to forgive her. She did go find the cousin. She did repent and ask him to forgive her. Now, it makes no difference whether he forgives her or not. She done her part. He did forgive her, but she done her part. Well, then they came back, the little girl still sick. She had a 104 temperature, and she had been bound with a seizure for three days. I told the little boy, I said, now, son, y'all sins have been repented of now. I said, now I want you to walk up and I, we're going to call God in remembrance of his promises, just like he said in Jeremiah 1.12. So I said, I want you to walk up there and I want you to read these scriptures out loud to the devil. Now then, I said, I, I want, best I can remember the way I did it has been so many years ago. I believe I had him quote Luke 10, 19, and 20, which we read just a few minutes ago, to let him know that he had all power over the devil. Now, his sins are repented. Now, he has that right now. Now, this afternoon, that may not be true because he might not, he might go out and sin again after this, but right now he's clean. Right now his wife's clean, and that scripture will work for them because they've repented. Then Mark 16, 17, and 18 will work for them. Because it clearly says, Jesus speaking, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name you shall cast out devils. Very few people in the church ever cast out a devil. Very few. I mean, I didn't even know there was such a thing as casting out a devil. I was in a Baptist church all of my life. And nobody ever said anything about casting out devils. I never heard a sermon preached on demons or devils. But it's in the Bible. So, Jesus said, it'll happen. So, and he said, then we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. So, after you cast out a demon, after you get the sin repented of, then you can kick out the devil, you make him go away. And sometimes they go away easy, sometimes they don't go away very easy. In this case, after the sin had been repented of, this little boy, I had him read these scriptures. Here he is in his mid-twenties. And I told him, I said, go up there and as bold as you know how. I want you to lay your hands on your little daughter, look her right in the face, and I want you to command on behalf of these scriptures for that demon of infirmity that's been bounding your little daughter for the last four days with a 104 degree temperature. I want you to command that beast to leave and to leave now in the name of Jesus. He did that with all the enthusiasm he could. And guess what happened? That demon left and that little girl was instantly healed. I mean, her temperature went from 104 to 98.6. Within two minutes, she began to move. She got up. She stood up and began to walk around the room. That lady came in. She said, what, what happened? And, of course, he can't tell her. He's dumbfounded. So she checks her temperature, and it's 98.6. She said, well, boy, something happened. Well, let me tell you what happened. We cast out a demon after the sins have been repented of. Now, what if that mother had not repented those sins. How long might that little girl, that three-year-old, been bound with that demon of seizure? Who knows? Who knows how long he might have kept her bound? 
Now, if people would read the Word of God in the Holy Ghost, if you would spend time with God and pray over the Word, He will reveal these kind of things to you so you can walk in this. And then you can see people get set free. I'm telling you, it's a lot of fun to see people get healed. It's a lot of fun to see God do miracles. I love it. You know, I really love it. Now then, if, you're, if you've got any kind of sin in your life, you've got to repent. Because see, the Word of God, Jesus says, any of us that has this hope in us, Christ in us, we purify ourselves from all evil. What does it mean to purify yourself from all evil? Don't sin. That's what it means. Most of us think, well, it's impossible for me to walk with no sin. No, it's not impossible. It's very possible for you to walk with no sin. If you do make a mistake in sin, what should you do immediately? Repent. That's right. When you repent, the minute you make the mistake and commit the sin, what can the demon do if he's watching you right then? Come right in, right then. I mean, he done it to me. I mean, he done it to me. And, of course, that last one that I got, which was the big one, which I've called the ruler of darkness, after I repented and he didn't come out, I thought, what is, what is this deal? But when I knew that I knew that I knew that I had repented, I knew I had repented. I knew I had sinned. Did you know that when you sin, let me ask this question, and I'm going to ask this one, and I want you to hold up your hand if you've had this experience. When you start to do something, and it happens to be wrong according to God's Word, how many of you have that little nudging somewhere, that, or some little voice, or some little thought, or something that says, don't do that? <laughs> we, right there. <laughs> so, is, is almost all of you had that? You, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit saying, don't go there. You know, you're fixed to say something and you might be fixing to do something or go to town to do something or whatever. Or you might be fixing to, some guy fixing to walk up and you're going to tell him something. And there's something that the Holy Spirit said, no, not now. No, no, no. Now you think, what was that? I mean, oh, it couldn't be. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell him what I'm going to tell him anyway. And you told him and man, it wasn't what he needed to hear right then. It was totally wrong. You didn't listen to the prompting of the Spirit. When you're led by the Spirit of God, you never miss God. If we could do that, if we could always pay attention, be in prayer with thanksgiving, the Lord would reveal to us what to say and what to do, and He'll tell you when to keep your mouth shut, and He'll tell you when to talk. And you won't never miss these kind of things. You have to listen to God. In fact, one day... Right up here, I'll never forget this. I had a pretty long prayer line that night. It was Sunday afternoon. And a couple hours I'd been praying for people. And there was the next to the last couple standing there. A middle-aged couple. Maybe late middle age. And when they come up, I said, what's your problem? And she said, I have a heart problem. I don't know, but I've had this pain in my chest for a long time. And I don't know what it is. I said, ma'am, do you have all your sins repented of? She said, well, I think so. I said, ma'am, thanking so. Don't get it. You've got to know so. You've got to know all your sins repented of. No unforgiveness. Nothing. Well, she said, okay, in that case, I know so. I said, okay, you can tell me anything. 
But I'm not the healer. Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit knows everything. So don't tell him something that's not true. I turned and looked at her husband. I said, how about you? He said, oh, this is my wife's first trip here. He said, I tried to get her to come, but this is the first time she's come. But he said, I've been here half a dozen times, five or six times. And he said, I knew the first question he was going to ask me, did I have my sins repented of? He said, I've heard you say that before. So he said, yes, this week I've been repenting of everything. So he said, I can say right now, I'm clean. I said, okay, good. That's what God's looking for. I said, okay. I said, now I'll pray for your wife. And I reached up and touched her. And when I touched her, the Holy Spirit knocked me off of her like she was electrified. I mean, the minute I touched her, bam! And when I jerked back, I heard the Holy Spirit say, unforgiveness. I said, ma'am, wow. She said, what happened? I said, you got unforgiveness in your heart. She said, yes, yes, I have unforgiveness. I said, who is it to? She said, my husband. I said, well, forgive him. She said, no, I will not forgive him. I said, what if you don't? I said, you're going to die and go to hell. I said, is what he done worth going to hell for forever? She said, well, of course not. I said, well, then, did you not understand? Jesus said, if you do not forgive from your heart. Now, see, this is not only do you get a tormenting spirit on this earth, but you get to go live with the tormentors forever because Jesus said, if you will not forgive your brothers from your heart, neither will I forgive you your sins. Anybody ever read that in the Bible? If that's what the Bible says, if Jesus does not forgive you your sins, what do you think the chances are when you die? And if you showed up at the pearly gates and he says, who are you? You say, well, Lord, I'm Thurman Scripture. He says, well, why should I let you in my heaven? You say, well, I served you down there on earth. I'm washed in the blood. He said, you know John Doe? Oh, yeah, Lord, I know him. Oh, yeah, by the oh, yeah, do I really know him? Oh, you remember all that unforgiveness you had against him for the last 30 years of your life? How you hated him? Well, but Lord, but he did all these bad things to me. He said, that don't count. I told you, if you do not forgive him, neither will I forgive you. So he said, into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would that be a little scary? I don't think I want to go there. Do you? Oh, so I'm going to forgive. I ain't going to walk in no kind of grudge toward nobody for nothing. I don't care what you do to me. So she said, well, I'm not going to spend eternity in hell. I said, then you're going to have to forgive him or you're going to spend it. She says, oh, goodness. She said, okay. She said, honey, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? He said, sure. And as soon as she said that, the Lord spoke to me in a voice just as clear as a bell. He said, son, tell my daughter. Now that she's been obedient to do what I've told her, you don't even have to pray for her. I have already healed her. Her pain is gone. I turned and looked at her and I said, ma'am, your pain's gone. Jesus just told me, you have no pain. He's already healed you. She took three or four deep breaths and she said, honey, he's right. There's no pain in my chest. Isn't that amazing? How easy it was. All she had to do is forgive. Isn't that easy? All we got to do is do what Jesus says. Walk in love. Does that seem so difficult? Well, obviously it's not as easy as it sounds to walk in love. John thirteen thirty four. he gives you one commandment under the new covenant. John thirteen thirty four. Look at, his, look at this commandment. 
it seems this is the only commandment to the new covenant. 1334. A new commandment I give you. John 1334. I'll wait till you get there so you can find it and read it in your Bible. Under the new covenant, he gives us a new commandment. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Boy, if the church would just hear that one little statement and do what it says. wonder what he would do for us if we would just Walk in total love. What do you think he would do? I'm going to show you what he's going to do. If you walk in total love, I want you to turn right there while you're in John 13. I want you to turn to John 14, 13, and 14. And I want you to see what he'll do if you do what he says. If right after he makes a statement in John 13, 34, and walking in love... If you come on down to John 14, 13 and 14, and look what the king says. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. What kind of limitations does he give us? None. They all revolve around walking in his love. By that, I see. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that powerful or is that powerful? Way powerful. I mean, he's after all, he's only God, isn't he? Now, if I were to make you that statement, and I mean, I tell Cheryl, honey, I give you anything I have with whatever limitations I have. So she comes to me and says, honey, I need 20 bucks. Okay, once, every once in a while I give her $20. Every once in a while she comes and says, I need 100 Well, sometimes I got 100 sometimes I don't have 100 But I have limitations. But what kind of limitations do you think God's got? None. None. So he makes the church these kind of promises, and we don't see no miracles in the church. Go right across the page to John fifteen seven. Look at this one. You wonder why these promises don't work or why people don't use them. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Is that a pretty awesome promise too? Huh? Isn't that awesome? It's something wrong then, isn't there? Well, let's just, just to get at least another chapter. We've got three chapters right here. We'll, we'll John, John uh, 13, 14, 15, and now 16. Look at John 16, 23 and 24. And look again. Jesus, you notice all this is in red? Isn't that amazing? John 16, 23 and 24 in, in John 16, and Jesus said in 16:23, and in that day, what day? That's today. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Now see, if you're praying for something, you always need to pray and ask the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. Because if you don't ask like that, you can't approach the throne of grace. Now there's some people out there that will tell you there's many ways to God. You can get there a lot of different ways. But I'm going to tell you that's a lie. There's only one way to approach the throne of grace, and that's through the name of Jesus Christ. You can't get there no other way. You know what would happen to you if you were to try, if it were possible to you to step into the presence of God in the physical or spiritual being that you are without going through the blood of Jesus? You know what would happen to you? You would be annihilated. God can't be in the presence of evil. And we're evil without the blood of Jesus. So if we even tried to approach the throne of God, that's why he says here, And in that day, which is today, you shall ask me nothing, but verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto, or before now, have you asked nothing in my name. Ask And you shall receive that your joy may be full. What? Over and over and over, what can you ask for? Anything? Surely he couldn't mean that, could he? We must think he doesn't. You know why he doesn't answer our prayers when we ask? Number one, we don't believe he'll do what he said he would do. That's the biggest sin in the church today. It's the sin of unbelief of the promises of God. When we come and ask, we don't believe He'll do it. And when we don't believe it, He won't do it. He will not do it. He's a faith God. If you don't know these principles, you will never walk where God wants us to walk. You'll never walk in His anointing. You'll never see Him answer big prayers. You'll never see any great significant miracles. But when you get to where you believe these things, in fact, that scripture right there in John fourteen thirteen, the one we did first, it's only been a couple of years ago, when or thereabouts sometime, I can't remember exactly, but it, about a couple of years ago, I guess, when I was in uh, Manny, Louisiana, and I used that verse that Wednesday night after service, and there was a man there that 21 months before, a tree had fell across a tractor he was driving and crushed both of his knees He had had surgery on his knees, but his knees were so tore up, the doctors had put steel braces from here to his ankles, and they said, you'll never walk another step as long as you live. And for 21 months, he had not. And I used John 14, 13, and 14, and asked the Father in Jesus' name to make those knees well. And I thanked him for doing it. And then I asked the man, do you believe this? He said, I do. I said, then good, take your braces off and let's stand up and walk. And he took the braces off. And he stood up with a little help. I jerked him up. And I told him, take a step, one, two, three. And after three steps, I said, you're on your own. And in two minutes, the Lord completely rebuilt those knees. And in two minutes' time, he's running, screaming up and down the aisles with his hands up, screaming, God is awesome. And about a year later, I was married to this lovely lady up here. And she went down there with me. And one of the first people come up the concrete walk right into where we were was Johnny Brumfield. And I said, honey, that's Johnny and his wife and one of his children. And she talked to him for quite a while. See, but God, he's an awesome God. Why do we not believe him? 
Well, number one, He told us to walk in love. Our faith don't work except by love. So if you're not walking in love, and of course, so many of us, as I taught last Tuesday night, I taught about men and women and how you got to love each other at home. Now see, a lot of men and women don't get along at home, but they don't know that since there's nobody at home except them, but guess who's always there with you? God. He always there with you. He knows if you're bickering with your wife or your wife's bickering with you. He knows everything about you. You can't fool him. So if you're walking in the God kind of love all the time, then the king says, Come and ask me for what? What did he say? Anything? Anything? Wow. John, you got a question? Okay, let me get a mic so they can everybody can hear it. Yep, so praise the king. When you get a hold of these things, you stand on those promises. Yes, sir, John. If I or we are to use verse 24 and quote it, and it says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. My question is, well, I've asked for prayers and I've asked for things in my name, in Jesus' name. So, haven't I already asked things? So, does this really refer to the disciples that they had not asked? Well, technically speaking, we should not ask in Jesus' name without going to the Father also. Now, here's the thing on earth. We can take the name of Jesus and use the name of Jesus to drive out demons on earth. We don't have to go to the Father. On earth, we've been given the name of our Savior Jesus to use in power to drive out sickness and disease and headaches and pains and that kind of stuff. You've been given the name of Jesus to get great things done. You've been, you have been given the name of Jesus to command angels. I mean, great things can happen with the name of Jesus. But if you're praying, this is, this is when we pray for something. When we pray for something and not commanding, like somebody gets sick, just like the other night, Cheryl, <clears throat> some of you all heard me tell this story, whenever her stomach was bothering her so bad, the other night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I didn't ask the Father nothing. I mean, I, did, I, mean, I knew it was a demon that was messing with her body. She'd been having all kinds of trouble. I just reached down uh, right there, uh, right on top of her stomach at 2 o'clock in the morning. She woke me up and said, honey, you got to pray for me. I just reached over, laid my hand on her stomach, said, you devil of hell, leave her in the name of Jesus. Bam, she was instantly healed. The pain went away instantly. In the name of Jesus, you go back to the scripture. When you go to Mark chapter 16, in Mark 16, does it say there we have to ask the Father in the name of Jesus there? Or what did Jesus say? Jesus said there, he said, in my name you shall drive out devils. But here, we don't, act, we don't say, Jesus, and this is where we mess up, see, praying. Jesus, I'm asking you to do this, or I'm asking you to heal this, or I'm asking you to do this, or I'm asking you to help me today, Jesus. As a rule, that's not the right way to do it. You should go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. And then the Father will dispatch angels or whatever, and that's the proper procedure according to the Word of God. You don't ask for things in the name of Jesus. You command sickness and disease in Jesus' name. You can command a storm in the name of Jesus. I mean, you can command a demon to leave in the name of Jesus. And whenever you start having 
uh, depression or something like that, or a spirit of fear comes upon you. I mean, all you got to do is take the name of Jesus on this earth and put your hand like that's like one little Caleb, that little nine-month-old uh, baby that had been tormented with a tormenting demon for nine months. He was only nine months old. He was born with this beast. And this little kid was screaming and kicking, and he could never, hardly ever sleep. He just he wouldn't hardly eat. He just nobody knew what's wrong with him. So when he was brought to me, I just asked the father. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, what is wrong with Caleb? Instantly, I got this tormenting spirit. Now I asked the father in the name of Jesus for the answer, and it came immediately. But I asked the heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. Well, the next morning, when Mother brought little Caleb the little nine-month-old boy, and he was screaming and kicking and crying. The very minute that she left, I knelt down in front of Caleb, reached up and grabbed him, and I said, In the name of Jesus, I said, You foul, tormenting spirit of hell, I command you to come out of this boy and go to the pit and never come back to him again in Jesus' name. And that devil left. I mean, he left, and today that little boy is totally a perfect little boy. In fact, from that minute, his life totally changed. And he became a little boy. But I asked the Father in the name of Jesus what was causing his problem in prayer. And when he told me, I now have the power to command in the name of Jesus. But we don't ask anything in prayer in the name of Jesus. Just in Jesus. We don't go directly to Jesus. A lot of people pray like that. They'll say, oh Jesus, please, I need this or I need that. And it never happens. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, hand him the mic so that it can be on the tape or so everybody can hear it, Michael. John, reread that first sentence there. Emphasize the word me and see if it sounds different to you. It, it says, and in that day, which is today, in that day you shall ask me nothing, Yeah. but you will go to the Father and ask him in my name. Yeah, that's, that's the way we have to do it, yeah. Now that's if you know you'll have a if you'll if you'll take God's word literally and do everything exactly like He says you'll have a whole lot better results with your prayer life. So now just think the name of Jesus to command somebody to be sick. When Michael was reading that there, we have power if we're walking in obedience. We could walk up to somebody if we're walking in total obedience to God's word, and somebody say he's got a splitting headache. And I say, in the name of Jesus, I command that headache to leave. That headache leaves. Sometimes you have to command two or three times. I mean, it's amazing what you can do in the name of Jesus. In fact, I don't think, I don't remember that day that we had all those people come up here that had the pain that the Lord healed them all that day. I've never had a day like that before or after. I'm trusting the Lord he'll do that again someday. But one day he did. And everybody came up here. I commanded in the name of Jesus for their pain to be removed or whatever it was. And that day, with 20 or 25 people, in two hours, every human being that was here in that church that day, out of that bunch that came up here with pain, was healed. Every one of them. But I used the name of Jesus. I, you know, amazing. Baptist church all my life. I ain't never seen nothing like that ever, 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 ever. Not even one. But to see 20 of them get healed the same day? Or 25, whatever. That's not a normal day in a Baptist church, I'll tell you for sure. But it should be a normal day in any church. 
Now, I will have to say, one of the ladies that came up here that day, it was her first Sunday. And when she came up here, I, I, I had never seen her before, but I give the invitation like the Lord prompted me. I, all, everybody has pain. Only those that have pain, I want them to come up. I'm going to heal them. So I made the announcement. I said, the Lord just laid them heart. Everybody's got pain. If you don't have pain, I don't want you up here. I remember Cheryl said that day, so she said, hmm. I got, I got anything, got any pain anywhere so I can go up there to get paid for? <laughs> That's a long time before she is my wife. And we had no idea what God was going to do there. But anyway, she couldn't find no pain that day, so she didn't come up for prayer. But one of the ladies that did come up, she was having pain. And when she was stood there, I said, do you know Jesus? She said, yes. I said, would you please say, Jesus is my Lord. See, I'm totally led by the Spirit. I didn't do this to everybody, but I did to this woman. And and she couldn't say Jesus. I said, say Jesus is my Lord. She said, G, G, G. I said, say Jesus is my Lord. And she couldn't. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that Spirit that's holding your tongue to stop it. In the name of Jesus. I said, now then, say, Jesus is my Lord. She said, Jesus is my Lord. Just that quick, that easy. See? So we had some battles here that day with demons, and that's what these things are. That's what's messing with us. That's what's causing our problems. In the name of Jesus, how much power do you have over devils? Providing you're walking in love. Don't forget that. You know, somebody says, well, I have all power over the devil. You just had a knockdown drag out with your wife or your son or your daughter or whatever. And a devil, you woke up and say, you devil, hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And he said, I'm going to get on you too. He ain't going to leave. I mean, he's going to, because of your sin. In fact, I have seen demons, when they're cast out of one person, go right into another one standing right beside them. I've seen that, experienced that. So you have to be careful. When you're around people that are casting out demons, you need to make sure there's no sin in your life. Because if there is, that demon's going to go somewhere where he's got legal right. And if you kick him out of one person and another one standing right beside him has got an open door, he said, no problem. And goes right in. And then that person gets sick or whatever. Or death. I, I was listening to an A.A. Allen meeting one time where he cast a demon. There was a woman on the second row or first row, whatever it was, and she came up and she said, I can't hear anything in this ear. He walked up and laid his hands on her and said, you demon of hell, come out in the name of Jesus. And immediately she said, wow, my ear just popped. I can hear fine. And a woman right over there said, well, something just happened. I can't hear nothing in this ear. So he walked over and put his hands on her and said, you devil of hell, come out of her. She said, oh, I can hear fine now. And a woman on the back, way back there said, oh, oh something just happened. I can't hear. So then he rebuked that devil, commanded to leave the building. And he left and nobody else had that problem. These demons don't play games. You know, you got to realize who these critters are and how do they get legal right to be there? One of them's unforgiveness. One of them's unforgiveness. Now then, anybody in the church that's heard this message tonight, if you still got unforgiveness towards someone, you really need to get rid of it quick as possible. Don't you agree? Yes. Who is it that wants to have the Lord send a tormenting spirit to torment you the rest of your life. I hope nobody. When you get a hold of that, you won't never hold a grudge toward anybody for anything. Why don't you... Just, what? No, I, I want you to tell them about the, the man that wouldn't forgive.
forgives about his granddaughters. Oh, when the Lord spoke to yeah. I was over in uh, Fort Worth in the hospital here a few years ago, and a member, a man was a, I believe he was a deacon in one of the big Baptist churches over in North Fort Worth. And he was terminally ill, the doctor said, or they thought he was. And so this man asked me to go over there, and I went over there, and I ministered to him that night. In the process of ministering to him, I found he had unforgiveness toward a man that had done something to his little twin granddaughters. He had two little little ones. I don't know. They weren't very big. But this man had done something to these two little girls. Now, I don't know what. I didn't ask him. But I told him, I said, sir, it makes no what they what he's done. You must forgive him. He said, no, I am not going to forgive him. I said, sir, if you don't forgive him, I'm going to guarantee you, you're not going to get well. And of course, the doctor walked in about that time. He told the doctor what I said. The doctor said, he's not a doctor. He don't know what he's talking about. You just let us doctor you. Well, let me tell you, when you learn that all problems are spiritual, you know, doctors can't do nothing with spiritual problems. Only preachers. Only men and women of God can take care of the spiritual needs. And so, anyway, he was not willing to forgive. He said, no, I will not forgive. And I, I told him, I said, well, you know, you better really, really get serious. With he said, well, I'll have to pray about it. So I said, sir, it ain't going to do no good to pray about something God told you to do in His Word. You don't have to pray about forgiving. He told you to forgive. He said, well, I'll have to think about it then. I said, well, don't think about it too long because you may die in the sin. So he just wasn't willing to forgive. So I got up and walked out of the room. As I'm walking down the corridor, the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, did you read in my Word? For I said, if he does not forgive, neither will I forgive him. I said, well, sure, Lord. I've read that several places. Well, I mean, so what's the big deal? Yeah, Lord, I know that. He said, do you think that anybody that dies in that sin of unforgiveness, that I'm going to allow them to come into my heaven? Boy, now that was a slap in the face to me. I'd never thought about that till that night. But I thought about it a lot after that night. And it's very scary, isn't it? Here you're washed in the blood. You're a born-again Christian. You've been a deacon, Sunday school teacher, teacher. I mean, you've walked supposedly holy, and you let one little grudge against one man cause you to die with a sickness. And then, not only were you... Tormentors sent to you on earth to kill your flesh, but then you were cast into hell to burn forever. And I'm sure the demons would really be lenient on you because you were a good Christian on earth. I've got a feeling they'd be meaner to you there than they ever would a normal person. Because the more you serve God here, the more they're going to torment you in hell. You don't want to go there. Somebody said, you can't be right on that. I said, okay. Maybe I'm not. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. But if you want to put God to the test and try that, you're a bigger boy than I am. I ain't going to do it. Are you, Michael? No, me neither. I guarantee I am not going to do that. But just remember, when we go to the Heavenly Father, we go to the Father in the name of Jesus in prayer. But on earth, you have power in the name of Jesus to take the name of Jesus and do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. Wow, it's already 9 o'clock.
Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for these promises. We're grateful that you're the healer and the deliverer. And we're grateful that you've showed us exactly what we have to do to be able to walk in healing. And you told us to walk in love. You told us to not sin. You told us to get rid of all of our sin. And then you would heal us, whatever the problem is. You'll restore us. And then, Lord, as we learn these things, as we walk holy and obedient to your word, we start calling your calling you in the remembrance of your promises, then you show up, you forgive us, you're merciful to us, and you renew us. And Lord, we're so grateful that you're such a merciful God. And thank you, Father, for this evening. And bless this word to all that hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.